The world of story has captivated humanity since the dawn of time. The oldest known form of communication, verbal storytelling, is responsible for the continuity and development of civilization from its most primitive moments to its most advanced. Story involves a sense of mystical wonder, but is also a powerful medium for communicating real and concrete ideas that shape people's lives and make them take action. Steve Schramm, marketer, nonfiction writer, and story nerd, and Alex Jagir, fiction writer, wannabe game designer, and story nerd, join forces as worlds collide to discuss how story is the most powerful concept ever known and how it interacts with each and every aspect of our lives, from the most magical to the most mundane. Well, welcome into another episode of Story World. Steve Shram here with my boy Al. What's up, Al? It's been a great night so far. Uh, Steve and I were able to, uh, what is it, the, the, the AirPlay, AirShare, uh, AppleShare, all the Share fancy terms. SharePlay. Yeah, it was close enough. SharePlay, uh, first time using it. And so uh, at least with good old Steve here, and uh, we were able to watch the fourth episode of Star Trek. So uh, still chipping away at that and enjoyed it very well. Yeah, dude, it was pretty legit. It was super cool to do that. Like I remember back in the day, me and my wife, whenever we would watch videos, we'd be like propping the iPad up, <laughs> TV, yeah. like trying to make it to where we could see each other and still see what was happening. And uh, it was it was pretty crazy. So anyway, this was a different experience. Found that it even like mutes, mm-hmm. like it, it lowers the volume of the of what you're watching. If somebody talks, it's really cool. So really? if you haven't tried Apple SharePlay, uh, totally try it. And a cool thing that we discovered too, because Steve likes subtitles. I don't dislike subtitles, but I just don't use them. And Steve was able to turn on subtitles for him and it wouldn't show on my screen. So very, uh, definitely very user-friendly yes. there. Yes. When you have four loud children, you just kind of get used to turning the subtitles <laughs> on to everything. He just you know, moved the TV and you just- I'll tell you though, now. the thing I hate about subtitles though, is that it spoils punchlines, right? Because the subtitles come it up does. before they finish the uh, words. Yeah. And so you find, you're like, you're like laughing from what's about to be said. Yeah. And it's really kind of yeah. funny. And it- I don't know. It yeah. bugs me, but at the same time, it's like, what do you do? I, you know, I have to have it. So, what are you gonna do? Yeah, very cool. Well, speaking of the small screen, today we are talking about the big screen again. That's right, my friends. We are covering the movie Interstellar, which I have just seen for the first time with Alex at our movie night last week, and he has seen it go- gobs of times. I think by now, I don't know how many times, but a lot. Um, yeah, so we're excited to to chat through it, man. Yeah, um, I am extremely excited. Next, I was telling Steve, kind of, if you hold the Prestige and Interstellar up side by side, it's on any given day, either one of those could be my favorite uh, movie. And Interstellar certainly uh, captures that thrill and excitement that just Christopher Nolan does again and again. I, I brought it up a couple of times, Steve. Maybe he is sick of me bringing it up, but I'm just amazed at how many good movies Christopher Nolan makes. Mm. Just even like the ones where yeah. it's like, Oh, he kind of ventured a little bit too far here. It's a little bit odd. Even those movies are like terrific. Um, it's just very interesting how consistently he delivers on it. Yeah, and uh, just so two things. Number one, um, if you would like to hear our thoughts on the Prestige, go back and check out episode yes. seventeen of the podcast from May twelfth. Yep. Uh, we were recovered the Prestige, and um, I think another thing that might be kind of cool to do is to talk about some of our favorite uh, like directors because obviously directors and producers and such they have a very 
well, they are, I mean, basically responsible for how movies turn out. Um, and so it would be sort of interesting to talk about some of the uh, just directors that we like and uh, things like that. So absolutely yeah and so um just as a heads up to everyone here should go without saying but full spoilers for everything coming up so if you haven't seen it go see yeah. it trust me like if you're listening to us and you've been sick with us you'll probably it's a movie you'll probably like so go ahead yeah. and watch it um and then we'll talk about yeah. it or if you don't care about spoilers then 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 have at it I yeah, good, good thing about a podcast you can come back any old time i'll still be here when you're ready so you can come pop it right now watch the movie come back later and uh, pick up right where you left off so yes um, absolutely so um uh, so maybe uh um should sh should we go ahead and talk through maybe just the general plot does that make sense yeah i'm just gonna, yeah i'll give a very general plot of it i won't even probably say anything much about the ending just to kind of set up what the movie is so takes place in the future. I don't think it ever specifically says exactly when in the future. Based on one line of dialogue, it probably 80 or so years from now, give or take a little bit less, a little bit more. Um, so it's a future Earth. Of, again, just from dialogue, sounds like a majority, probably even a vast majority of the world's population has been killed um, either directly through a like disease going around called a blight that's killing off crops um, or indirectly by poor government decisions and like, you know, killing innocent people so that people don't starve to death and other stuff that just kind of gets subtly brought up. But the world's population has dwindled. Um, and so a lot of people really, the survival is just farming and the last crop on earth that people are trying to, you know, really just sustain the population is corn. And so what takes place is, um, the main character Cooper, who's played by Matthew McConaughey, um, He's right there from the beginning of the movie to the very end. And he uh, um, he was an airline pilot um, in the past. It kind of opens up with a scene with him doing that. And uh, throughout the movie, he ends up stumbling upon some interesting stuff with his daughter, discovers that NASA is still around secretly um, building a project to kind of save the Earth by taking um, humans away from Earth to a different planet by a wormhole that has appeared next to Saturn by... Uh, they, they, and they don't know who they is throughout the movie and takes you to other galaxies or solar systems and, um, yeah, to potential worlds that can sustain life to have the human civilization survive. You know, there's a Christian band called I am they, so I wonder hmm. if they are they. Oof. Just adds a, do they have access to the sixth dimension? <laughs> I don't know. They kind of look like hippies. So, oh, so they probably are into a lot of stuff. <laughs> that explains it, right? <laughs> yes. So, uh, I think I covered the. There's obviously a lot going on there, but that pretty much is the gist of it. And so, that's the the movie title, Interstellar. And if you, again, this is just me, but um, just if you like space in general, like Steve and I are both like huge, you know, space freaks. We like talking about space stuff, and we find it really extremely interesting so if you like that kind of stuff and if you've seen the movie you can relate if you haven't watch it you probably will relate but just like seeing the title on screen with interstellar and just knowing the like the big seriousness and drama of traveling through space this movie provides it really like really satisfies that urge for someone to like likes the exploration of space and wishes oh man i wish i could get up there and see the stars this movie really comes about as close as you can get to kind of having that feeling of what it could possibly be like with interstellar travel i don't know does that kind of sum it up pretty good for you steve yeah i think so i think uh, just based on that so far i just wanted to make two sort of general comments um yep. one is i think if i had to summarize 
what I thought the movie was. Because, again, I, I watched it for the first time last week. So um, if, if I sort of had to summarize it, I would say it's like a disaster movie, but with good writing. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yep. You know, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of funny, right? Because disaster movies are almost kind of like, you know, they are. I mean, their own sort of genre and their own sort of feel. And it's like, in a sense, you expect them to be bad, but like they're so bad that they're good. Um, you know, I think of movies that's like genre, right? Yeah, I mean, there's hardcore ones, right? Like Sharknado. Okay, that's like next level <laughs> yeah, disaster. That's, yeah. There's a few that I would put in the category of like uh, the core. Have you see the core? Um, yeah, long time yeah. ago, but yeah, I do remember mm-hmm. that. That was yeah, yeah, more serious tone. It was more serious, um, but it also it still sort of had that like way beyond believability. You know, like yeah. like it, it really seems. Like this could not happen, um, and, but it's okay, right? Because it because it fit the genre. Um, as I was watching Interstellar, I thought, okay, I'm getting disaster movie vibes, but given the director, given the writing and everything so far, um, I'm like, yeah, it's it's like it's like a disaster movie, but like with good non cheesy mm. storytelling. And it's the most so serious really disaster movie that. you could ever watch. Like really, I think you know. I think so. I mean, now I would put, and maybe it's um, uh, I guess ironic because uh, of um, it's still a space movie or whatever. But I think I think that I would put Armageddon personally in about this same category. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe maybe a little less. I, I don't. I, I'm not necessarily. This is more gut, right? I'm not measuring this objectively. Right, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. But but I, I get the same sort of feel out of something like armageddon um as i do this uh because of the writing and because aerosmith recorded the theme song that's obviously (laughs) the main thing um whereas now as much as i love deep impact in fact i might even love deep impact better than armageddon i still kind of feel like deep impact is maybe more like the core a little bit okay so i'm Mm -hmm. kind of putting them on the same so i'm kind of thinking like deep impact and the core are maybe kind of similar yeah um, Armageddon and Interstellar are maybe sort of similar, but of course, I think um, Interstellar maybe cranks up the notch on the darkness a little bit, which I think would be consistent yeah. with Christopher Nolan as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so like Steve and I are necessarily saying, hey, for all you disaster movie fans out here, this is your kind of movie. It not, that, it, yeah, not it's, uh, yeah, it may not be because I, I kind of have a note here that coincides really well with Steve saying, is it, it, I don't really know how to categorize this movie specifically into a genre. Like, yes, it's sci-fi. Yes, it is disaster. Yes, it is like space opera-ish. It is is a lot of different things at once. And even in the beginning, it has a little bit of a documentary vibe. It kind of leads off with people kind of like older people saying about what the past generation was like. And it, it really sets the stage for a realistic setting where you almost feel like, okay, this is like my world. This is our world that we're in. Yeah. And then it kind of slowly goes into disaster. And then it slowly moves further into sci-fi. And it really touches a big variety of genres, which is which is a really cool thing to do and also have it be a good movie. Some movies really unsuccessfully try to blend two or more things and it just does not work at all. Yeah, they, they hooked me big time in the beginning. Um not gonna lie, because like the um, it had sort of this tech and western vibe. Like it had this super western feel again. Like you mentioned with the old people, it's sort of like the documentary thing. You obviously saw like the dust and like the old house or whatever. Mm, but then you saw yeah. like this super 
high tech looking computer equipment. And so like, so, like in the very, very beginning, like literally the opening scenes, you're somehow in the future and the past at the mm -hmm. same time. Yeah. And of course that sort of foreshadows uh, what happens later in the movie. Um, but at the very beginning though, it really hooks you in because it's like, I don't know where I am now. Fortunately, I would say within the first 10 minutes or so, they they actually give you some context for that, and they sort of explain how they are in, you know, necessary how they are how they are in the future, but they are they have sort of culturally reg regressed to a past time, and of course you do find out that's because of the blight. You find out that people are being killed. You find out that it's it's all the crops, all the all the food. Um, I made a, a note. I made a note here that. Again, Stephen, I um, probably more of this episode so far than any other really correspond with our notes we have here. So I have a note. Um, I think Nolan, the movie is long. It is a three-hour movie. But um, in spite of that, Nolan really, I mean, despite that, Nolan really condenses as much stuff as he can. So Nolan gives you a very accurate representation of the world he wants to show you, and he doesn't give you any more than that and doesn't give you any less than you need to know. Um, I just think you've really set up the world in a great way where you knew what was happening. You knew what was going on. And um, he just did it perfectly through storytelling and showing, not not telling, you know, just through the natural progression of the story. Yeah, I, I, that, and I remember mentioning that to you as well, when, even when we were watching the yep. movie that like, man, I'm just so surprised at that. Like, they're not explaining anything. Um, <laughs> right. Yep. They're just showing it happen and um yeah though it was good uh, later on they did have to do some explaining um uh, because some of the the concepts were getting kind of kind of wild um yeah maybe this this is a point to and again we're just kind of free flowing here so so maybe maybe this is a point to address uh one of my gripes uh, with the movie and um <laughs> there so there's even so so let's talk about the science okay real quick for a minute so there's even a book called the science of interstellar that has been written by this guy named kip kip something um he's got a youtube talk out there um science of interstellar i'm looking it up on youtube or on um on um amazon it's by kip thorne uh by kip okay. thorne science the science of interstellar and um i I don't know what one of the things. So I actually listened to a podcast uh, with with uh, uh, a scientist, um, and he was talking. They were doing a review of this movie, and um, he sort of acted like, and he explained some of his reasoning for things. But he sort of acted like most of what went on in the second, basically, act of the movie onward um, didn't really seem to conform well with with what we actually know about science. One example of this is, um, of course, in the movie, they they do a, a lot uh, very near the uh, a big black hole. They call it gargantuan. And especially when you get close to the very end of the movie, basically um, they are on approach into this black hole. And in fact, Matthew McConaughey and uh, one of the robots, Tar, that's with them, they actually end up going into this black hole. Well, everything that we know about black holes right now would would tells us that you would be pulled apart by gravity and destroyed before you made it anywhere near the um, being able to even enter into the into the black hole. So, um, so, so so that 
I mean, that's pretty central to the story. And so if that doesn't work in real life uh, science, it's, it's kind of difficult. Now you say, well, this is a science fiction movie. And this is true. Um, but they even had scientists, and I don't know if it's this Kip guy, it might have been, but, but maybe it wasn't, I'm not sure. But they even brought in scientists to consult with them in the making of this movie to sort of make sure that um, they were staying within the bounds of what is, you know, at least theoretically possible. And so I guess I'm a little confused because I have some scientists, apparently some scientists were consulted in the making of this movie. And then other scientists are saying like, this seems rudimentary, like not possible. So, um, so the reason I say it's a gripe is because I, it, it's because they didn't, they, they, they maybe didn't do a good job of sticking to real science, but yet they really wanted to do that. It seems like so. It, it so it's it's like I'm kind of cool if it's just like okay, total science fiction. Like we're just speculating on the possibilities of things here or whatever. But then if we're gonna do that, uh, let's not pretend that we're being like really accurate with the science. If we're not, now, I know again, I know it's just a movie, and I'm not trying to spoil a good movie. It's just it. There's what I'm saying is there seems to be this tension, right? There seems to be this. Well, they wanted to be scientifically accurate but they weren't anyway, and why, um, if that's true. Now, I don't know enough about the science to, I, to, to know whether that's really true or not, but that's where I'm at. I'm not making excuses for that point, because one of my gripes, too, is, um, uh, again, you know, spoilers, but, like, the, the whole fifth dimensional thing with the gravity and how future humans are able to operate in a physical space with that and provide us with the opportunity to work in that, um, Obviously, that is just all sci-fi, hundred percent, right there. Like, there's no, you know, yeah. science about you know it. Yeah, it's so. But my devil's advocate would be to that. I know you're not saying that it ruins the movie, but for no, scientists, might say, "Oh, that is like totally off." Like, why would you put that in there? To someone like that, I would say, like, well, I mean, is it entirely possible that if those future humans, because we're operating in Christopher Nolan's world now, right? So in his sci-fi right. world, there are future humans that made it accessible for us to operate in that fifth dimensional space inside that black hole. They even yeah. made a wormhole for us to get to that galaxy and that solar system. Would it not be also possible for them to, within the confines of what they know, make it so that gargantuan, that black hole, would be able to take McConaughey in without shredding him to pieces? Yeah, and, ag awesome. and again, awesome. that's what, yeah. but I say that, but it's one of my greats with sci-fi and fantasy at times is that you can almost just kind of introduce anything to wish it, whatever. But um, it's one of those things where Nolan always operates, not always, he, he really, a lot of his movies operate in a real world. And then he adds a spice of sci-fi that's impossible. And your mind takes a jolt when yeah. that happens. Like uh, the first time I watched it, I really kind of hated, like really did, it almost ruined the movie for me that part about just the whole fifth dimension. I was really expecting something realistic through the whole thing. And then after I watch it more and more, we kind of talked about this after the movie was over. I've learned to enjoy it and then just kind of appreciate it for what it is. Um, because like, well, with the prestige, um, you know, that's a pretty daggone realistic movie until you get to the cloning part. And even though that we talked before that has some realities too, but not to that extent at that point in time, you know? So in Nolan's world, you kind of have to accept that there's going to be some weird stuff and kind of operate in that world of his. Yeah, and I'm also willing willing to um, 
Um, I'm also willing to admit that the, 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 the scientist who I followed who was explaining these things is just wrong or way out of his depth. Now, to be <laughs> fair, uh, so let me, I, I just want to harp on this a little bit more. Now, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, as, as I'm looking at this book, uh, so the, the guy's name is Kip Thorne, right? He wrote the book, The Science of Interstellar. He was the guy who, had, uh, who was the scientific advisor on this movie. He also um, is, the, is the Feynman uh, Professor of Theoretical Physics Emeritus at Caltech, an executive producer for Interstellar and the author of books, including best-selling Black Holes and Time Warps. He lives in Pasadena, California. He's also, if I, if I read this correctly, a Nobel, a Nobel Prize winner in physics. So, um, I knows a little bit, <laughs> um, the guy that now don't get me wrong. I love, I love, 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 love the scientist who I am talking about. However, he, and he has a PhD, he's a scientist, but his field is marine biology. So, um, <laughs> so it is possible that the guy who won a Nobel prize for his work in physics and consulted with the people in the movie might have an idea for how some of this is at least theoretically possible and uh, it's, it's one of those things yeah. though where it does come down to like i think if, if you really are interested in space at all without getting sucked in the movie because you almost don't think about watching the movie but if someone just asked you if you know a little bit about black holes and everything if someone said hey like what do you think would happen if you got to a black hole my initial thing without being without even being a scientist is like well honestly it would probably either suck you in like really hard and you would just like get crushed or like pretty much the ultimate answer would be death and obviously in Christopher Nolan's movie, like the movie just can't end like that. And that's where you just have to accept, okay, now we're like, this is where the sci-fi part comes out. And so yeah. like scientists can argue, I'll, I'll write a paper about, oh, well, here's why Interstellar is wrong because, you know, there's no way you get sucked in a black hole. And you just kind of think, well, yeah, no, duh, but it's a movie. And this is a cool way that he came up with. That kind of goes into, yeah. um, I forget where I kind of had it here, one of my points, but really Christopher Nolan's like boldness, I guess, and really putting forth that idea. I'm sure that it's kind of a crazy wild one to take that hard of a twist and such a movie that really makes you feel like you're grounded in reality to throw yeah. that in there. It's really wacky and you kind of, your mind kind of has to get adjusted to it. And um, yeah. so really kudos to him for putting that in there. And even though it is kind of eyebrow raising, it doesn't, maybe for some people it would, but it really doesn't um, ruin the movie. It might make you scratch your head right. a little bit, but it makes you think about it. And then we've talked before, but it's not like that is the ending and you're left on a cliffhanger. Like, well, that was weird. There actually is an even kind of truer ending after that. That's just a phenomenal ending to the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now, uh, I agree. Uh, one more thing that I'll say while we're sort of on this of the science, yep. you know, we can maybe move to some other things. Um, it, it, it does assume um and i'm a total nerd which is why i know this but it, it does assume um what's called the b theory of time um instead of the a theory of time so to briefly say what those are um so the the b theory of time is sort of this idea that that um t temporal becoming so where we experience the actual ticking of the clock and seconds and minutes um on the b theory of time that's not real um time is this fourth uh dimension um where it, it everything kind of exists at once and so tantamount to the or or maybe i should say paramount to the 
um, important to, I'm going to use a word and I know what it means, um, important to um, that final scene at the end is the notion that the future humans were there to actually make the scenario, to set the scenario up and make it possible. Mm -hmm. But that, of course, leads to the question of, well, wait a minute, well, how are the future humans there if the current humans hadn't got a chance to get there yet? And the assumption underlying this is that is that the B theory of time is true, which sort of puts time on this separate fourth dimensional plane where everything really happens at one time. You just look at different points of a timeline. And this is how yeah. a lot of people, uh, especially a lot of Christians, think about time because they're used to hearing things in church like God is outside of time or something like that, where, where God can sort of like dip his finger in at different points in a timeline. Um, uh, I don't actually, though, uh, personally subscribe to that notion of time. I subscribe to what's called the A theory of time, which means that temporal becoming is real. So um, as, as the seconds count down and the minutes count down to five minutes from now, that time doesn't exist in some other dimension somewhere. That five minutes from now doesn't exist somewhere. It's it's becoming real at with with each passing moment, if that makes sense. So on, on this view of time, there are there could be no future humans. Um be, because we're not there yet, because we are humans and, and we're not in the future. Now I, I realize again, I realize this is science fiction, but again, this is science fiction that is at least purporting to be very much grounded in real science. Mm -hmm. And um and most physicists do take the B theory uh of time. Uh, to be accurate, but now philosophers, okay, a lot of philosophers of science take the A theory of time to be accurate, and a lot of people, when they think about time, um, they're not thinking in terms of this, you know, whatever, like this blob, this this fourth dimensional yeah. blob with a future point. Most people experience time in, yeah, the seconds are counting down, the minutes are counting down, life is, you know, ticking away, and so it's it's, it's sort of like the intuitive notion of time. That's the A theory. Um, so. If if you think the A theory of time is accurate, then this scenario that is uh, posed by the author will not be the case. But if you think the B, B theory of time is accurate, then um, then it is something possible for future humans to be able to reach back, so to speak, if they figure out time travel. The the, the other thing I'll say about this real quick is that currently, um, of of time travel because of relativity and things like this, um, it is possible. We we do know that it's in a sense possible to go forward in time. Uh, but what is not given our current knowledge able to happen is to go backwards in time. They, we can't change the past. Um, yeah. They say that in the movie too. Like uh, he asks, uh, yeah, Cooper, uh, Cooper asks Brand if um, there's a way, I think it was when after they got after, I forget the name of the planet. Yeah. Um, uh, was it Webb's planet? I forget, the, but the water planet where he says like, is there a way that they can reverse time? Uh, yeah. And she like says like, there's, like time is relative, you can slow it down, you can speed it up, but there's no way you can go back, which exactly. is obviously related to the A theory of time, which I kind of subscribe to. But even taken, you kind of also have to, like if you're watching the movie, even if you don't know the actual term, yeah, B theory of time, in your mind, you kind of have to accept the fact like, okay, this just is, it exists in this movie. Right. Humans yeah. are reaching back. But even with that, um, that's why I, I honestly really don't care Anytime a movie, maybe it's because I'm not a f that big a fan of like Back to the Future. I just don't like movies that mm -hmm. have time travel in it because because of that reason. For me, it kind of it just is almost too much of a hump for me to overlook when the movie is solely about that. If they throw in like one part, that's kind of cool. I'm like, okay, that's kind of neat. But as yeah. a whole, it's hard to overlook it when like a whole movie's like premise or foundation is about time travel. That's because right. I just 
even when it, even if you force your mind into thinking the B theory of time, then it's just like, okay, well then what's the point if you can just kind of reach in and poke at any time that you want? Like, what's the point yeah. of all this? Anyway, yeah. I'm, we're, we spiraled well, on that one, but. Nobody's, <laughs> nobody's here for a science lesson, so I guess we can move on to anyway, other things. Yes. Um, so I actually, because I actually want to end this, I feel like we've been kind of uh, ragging on some stuff. I want to end it on my last bad note because I have a, obviously plenty of great stuff to say about it. It is one of my favorite movies definitely top five and it could even take the first spot depending on how i'm feeling on a given day um so the last negative thing i have to say about it i just think it was a poor choice of casting matt damon um in the movie um, what do you mean this is what he does he gets saved <laughs> by space it's people. it's funny as soon as i saw that well why don't you tell your little story so matt Damon's on there and he said is that matt damon and, he, and i said yeah he said pause it pause it and you you go ahead and uh yeah, well, I had just, I couldn't remember when I couldn't, I finally found it. It was in my podcast. For those of you who don't know, um, just, uh, Steve would probably say it too, but like specifically, I think I mentioned first, like Matt Damon pops up randomly in Saving Private Ryan as well, a little bit earlier in his career, of course, but and that's yeah. what I just Steve, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so like, apparently, apparently this is a thing. Matt Damon getting saved in movies is apparently a thing. And so you, if you search on Twitter for this, like save Matt Damon, you'll find all sorts of stuff. Um, and I was like, what in the world? The Martian. And, and so I, uh, one of the, one of the podcasts that was, so I listened to a podcast called above board and it's a podcast by two guys who started a company called fathom analytics. It's basically a privacy and censorship focused alternative to Google analytics. And they had an upcoming episode called can Matt's can Matt, can Matt Damon save Coinbase? So they were talking about Coinbase. Coinbase just laid off like something crazy, like 1,100 workers mm -hmm. or something like yeah. that. They're a, like that, that crypto site. Anyway, yeah. um, and so th th they, for fun, titled the episode, Can Matt Damon Save Coinbase? And here, here, here is Matt Damon being saved in this movie. And I, I told Alice, I said, pause it. What is happening here? And, I, <laughs> about this. and then sure enough, I looked it up and it's just totally a thing. Matt Damon getting saved in movies like this is just totally a thing. I mean, you know, and, and at the very least, Interstellar, The Martian, and Saving Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan he gets saved. Yeah. He gets rescued. Yeah. Um, and so um, apparently this is just when it was when I saw Matt David on that screen, I was just like, you got me freaking kid. <laughs> oh, yeah, so that was funny. But I'm going to lead this bad point into my list of just amazing points about the movie. So there, Matt Damon, I think it. Uh, Matt Damon's a great actor. Don't get me wrong. Like he is phenomenal. Um, right. And uh, but just having that kind of presence there and like like when you see him. You're not thinking, okay, here's this character, this, um, you know, this, uh, you know, space astronaut on this planet. You see him and you think, oh, that's Matt Damon. And it, it just takes you out of the movie, even for just a split second. And you were like, oh, that's Matt Damon. That's cool. And it just, I just think it was a poor choice. Um, it, it very quickly corrects itself. Matt Damon did a great job in that performing role. Again, Steve and I aren't really talking mm -hmm. as specifics as we did with the prestige, but Matt Damon plays uh, man. And basically kind of sabotage the mission of fake people into coming to his planet saying it was good when it actually really wasn't because he was uh, really just afraid to die and he wanted to keep on living. And so um, anyway, yeah. um, that leads, though, into my uh, first uh, great point, like official great point is um, Matthew McConaughey. All right. All right. All oh, right. Yeah. All right. All right. All uh, right. So and Steve asked me, like, oh, he said, is, has Matthew McConaughey ever played like in a real serious role like this and later on he brought up a movie where it really was serious was the Lincoln lawyer and he did great in that and I'm sure there's other ones but um man he uh um just a great performance from him in that movie 
I, I was thinking back on it too. It's a long movie. It's a three hour movie. I think think he's in, okay, not every scene because sometimes it flashes back to what's happening on earth, but he's in almost every scene in that movie. And there's a lot of weight and heavy scenes in there. And he just delivers every single time. Um, the specific scenes that I'm thinking of are when he uh, first sees like his, uh, I think it's when, uh, yeah, I think it's when he gets off the water planet and the time legit slippages happen. I think it's like 23 years that have gone by and, um, he ends up catching up on all the videos from his family and he sees his like grandson being born and everything. And just, he just starts breaking down and just bawling his eyes out and just, and that's just one out of maybe a half a dozen scenes where that happens. And it's just just amazing um i just think he did a phenomenal job in that movie i i think so too who doesn't love matthew mcconaughey I mean, <laughs> right honestly, right i mean all right all right all right i mean yeah, he right. really is um and i you know i yeah it's like alex was saying i mean i'm not really used to seeing him in movies that are like this but mm-hmm. he did a fantastic job um I like, like probably hour maybe other movies that he did this in probably. maybe i just don't know what they are but but he was just uh the the drama man it was just it was just really good this and he mm-hmm. it was really refreshing to sort of see him in a super serious role um it fit him man and i, I think oh, it did it fit him good right. and i'm not obviously like there's so much to go i'm not a professional judge or actor or anything but it's almost one of those performances where you're like like wow he like and maybe he was i don't know but like being the running for like uh best performance by an actor like it, it was that good at least in my opinion just as a spectator watching um and then the casting for all the other parts was great and i you know it's great casting where after that kind of initial first hit in the beginning where you're like oh it's that actor or actress whatever immediately you forget it's them and then it's the character and so uh, the movie did a great job with that i don't know if you have anything to add to uh to that point or not um no i i think just uh maybe a general point about the cast and and acting i mean honestly you can't really argue with the cast i mean Matthew McConaughey, Matt Damon, <laughs> Anne Hathaway, um, Michael, is it Michael Caine? Um, yep. Just, uh, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some. Um, but well, man, um, I don't know if you noticed, but um, the person who plays, oh, I, I can't, I can't think of his name, but the person who plays uh, McConaughey's son in the movie, did you yeah. recognize, do you recognize the kid, the boy, his son? Uh, no. He, uh-uh. I, I'm going to botch the name, Timothy Shalman, Shalmane, he's the one that plays Paul in Dune. Really? Yep. yep. <laughs> Interesting. So that was like, you know, okay. eight years ago. So quite a bit before. But um, and then um the guy that plays the older brother is um Casey Affleck. Pretty sure that's who's the one that plays it. Um just a, a lot of big name actors that you don't just really notice, uh, at least for me, the first couple times watching. But uh yeah, Dude. anyway. Yeah. Yeah, man. Just yeah, it was, it was it was great. The, the 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 acting I thought I thought was great. I thought the yeah. just sort of the emotional interplay between because obviously like the emotions were so high, the drama was so high. Um you, you've got, you know, the uh the the daughter of the scientist. So the scientist uh was allegedly trying to really figure out this problem and spearheading the effort at NASA. Um he's played by Michael Caine. And then uh, the daughter, uh, that's Dr. Brand. And then the daughter, Dr. Brand, uh, is played by Anne Hathaway. And, um, you know, they find out uh, that he was lying. Uh, the doctor was lying all this, all the time. 
Um, I mean, for, for decades, I mean, 40 or 50 years, he was supposedly working on this equation and um, trying to get it all figured out. That And basically, he's trying to solve the problem of, you know, of gravity, <laughs> yeah. the, the power of gravity to be able to, to actually fix the issue. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, they're all holding out hope that he figures out the answer to the mm-hmm. equation. And, um, you know, you find out he, 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 so much time passes as they're out there in space, uh, on earth that, uh, he, he ends up passing away and you find out in his deathbed, in his dying, basically scene that, um, it was all a sham. It was all a lie. And so the, you know, the daughter out there in space ends up finding out that her father was a fraud, Mm. uh, basically. Uh, yeah. good, good, well-intentioned, but a, but a fraud, uh, in the sense that he solved the problem and uh, the equation, so to speak, ages ago. And th- the simple reality is, is that they needed data from inside of a black hole mm-hmm. to get the gravitational information that they, that they needed in order to solve the equation. And, um, it, it just couldn't really be solved. And so what they, so, so all this time they were holding out hope that they could <clears throat> save the people on the current earth. And yet. The scientist, Dr. Brand, um, and also the the scientist who Matt Damon played, uh, Webb, is it Webb? Um, man, I think. Man, man, that's right, man. M-A-M-A-N-N, um, that they rescued, uh, he knew as well. And so the, so the sort of, mm. the, the plan that ended up having to be carried out was what they called Plan B, uh, which was basically repopulating a new civilization with embryos. Um, and... Uh, not saving anyone on the current earth at all. Um, and, and so most of the cast is unaware of this um, until a good, what, what would you say? Three quarters of the way? Yeah. Something? Yeah. Two thirds, three quarters, somewhere around that. Yeah. Into the and, movie. and throughout the whole movie, kind of going to my next point with that is um, you really, throughout the movie, it's cool anyway. You kind of slowly start to feel the weight of the seriousness of humanity kind of, drifting into like you know possibly surviving or not and so the really the really first big hit is because you're not really expecting it is you just you're just not is when they first go to the water planet and they have that issue where they're stranded because the waves which is just a tremendous scene like that was an intense scene but after that and they get up and they realize they lost 23 years all of a sudden you the viewer that's kind of the first hit where you're thinking wow um so 23 years have passed um that's yeah, a lot of time. That's a lot of time for right. crunch yeah. time, and that's kind of where the weight settles in a little bit more. And then, um, and to me, this was out of out of all the tremendous great scenes and emotional scenes. I think my favorite scene is when Man, um, accidentally like opens up the uh, the air hatch or the airlock, and it blows up the endurance on the one part. And it starts spinning, oh, yeah. and and then he do- and then Cooper docks it, um, and just uh, that sounds simple enough itself. I mean, it's a tricky maneuver, but the music at that part, and then the seriousness of it getting to the end of the movie, and it's my favorite lines in the movie. The uh, Tars, the, uh, the robot marine, says, um, "He says we're going to dock it." And Tars says, "That's not possible," and McConaughey say, says, "No, it's necessary." Because it it just like Um, just hits you because, you know, like if if that thing keeps going and drifting towards, Mm -hmm. I think it was drifting towards the planet. Yeah. Then it was going to burn up and like literally there goes humanity forever. Humanity's done. And 
that oh yeah just that five honestly that sequence from when man first throws mcconaughey's i'm switching between real name and movie names um uh voice and uh you know recorder or whatever and throws it down and that kind of you know treason kind of comes out or uh not yeah. treason i'm missing the word but um and then for the next honestly from there till the close to the end of the movie it's just you're at the edge of your seat and and so anyway yeah those uh moments to motions and the hard-hitting emotions even though it's a i wouldn't classify it as a drama movie it has more real drama and like emotion in it than the majority of movies out there that claim to be drama in my opinion yeah i told i totally agree that that's certainly one of the big points that i wanted to make as well is just the drama is incredible um it's it, it is a great drama movie not just sci-fi movie um and I think this is one of the reasons, even if you're not so into the science or whatever, like it's really just that good from a mm -hmm. from a drama perspective. It's it's really just that good. If you've so. only watched this before you've had kids and now you have kids, watch it again. Because I guarantee you, you will tear up at the, oh, don't yeah. make me leave like this, Murph. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh that's the, boy. The that's, that's between the... him and his kids is crazy. The mom has died. There is no mom. Yeah. So you got you got you got a grandpa raising them. And um, it's it's yeah, and what's what's crazy is is that Murph, uh, the daughter, never really forgives him. And then of course, what you find out in the movie is that she ends up becoming a central character because she's so smart. She ends mm -hmm. up becoming sort of the right hand man to the doctor, Doctor Brand, that we were just telling you about. And so, in some sense, they sort of like switch daughters, right? Like Doctor, yes, like yeah. McConaughey's daughter. Yeah, yeah, because you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, anyway, some yeah. reason his his character's name is. Uh, slipping my mind. Uh, Cooper, right? Yeah, Cooper. Yep, right? Cooper. Yeah, so so Cooper's daughter Murph, um, es essentially ends up becoming the scientist's sort of daughter, and mm. the scientist's daughter is sort of out there with Cooper, and so in some sense she sort of becomes like his daughter. Um, yeah. and they sort of trade places. It's, it's really interesting. Weird. Yeah, it's uh, it's great though. Um, another small it's small point. I just love. I don't know if it was Nolan's idea or someone else, but the concept of the the robot Marines that um that they made. Uh, yeah. Just a really cool added where you have a robot, but typically like in Aliens and also in Star Trek that I'm getting familiar with, is you have like these humanoid um robots that look like humans. Sometimes can fool you as humans, but they're actual like robots or AI. But in this one, it's uh like you know it's a robot. And the structure that they're built, like a box with, but like movable, like appendages, it's, uh, you wouldn't think it'd work, but I just think that that was a very, um, cool part of the movie that really it's super unique. Well. Yeah. Yeah. It just designed well. And, um, um, yeah, I would have expected it to be a little more, uh, maybe a little less droid like it's very, mm. it's very Star Wars droid feeling. Um, it's, it's very, it's a much more Star Wars take on a robot than a Star Trek take on a, on a robot, yeah. if I can say that. Um, but, uh, but I liked it too. I agree. I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought cool. that up. Um, the only other point I have really is the editing to talk about. So if you have anything else before we get to that, feel free to, to go for it. Um, no, I, well, for me, I think the, uh, in general, we covered it, but, but really just the storytelling. Mm. Um, it's just so good. I was hooked immediately. I mean, like I like I mentioned, like as soon as as soon as the the first couple minutes came on and you kind of had like this tech thing going on, but then you also had this western thing going on. You know, the show don't tell. I just keep coming back to that. I mean, the storytelling was just um phenomenal all throughout. Um if anything, uh the end, which you're getting to, um, 
um, I'm going to be honest. This this is going to be maybe a controversial statement. The I think the end is my least favorite part of the movie. Um, and um, not not. So what they did was cool. Um, and like I said, there's spoilers here. So what what they what they did was was cool. Basically, well, you're getting ready to cover the end, so I'm not, I'm not going to steal your thunder on the end. I'm just I, but no, I just. No, at go the, for it. At, but just at the very end, though, um, that's where the storytelling sort of plays second fiddle to the explaining of how what just happened is possible. Because basically, and again, you're going to get to this, but essentially what you're looking at on the screen is a dude in a spacesuit floating around in a in a five-dimensional library. And okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. when you're when you're looking at guy floating around in five dimensional library in spacesuit, um, you as you can imagine, there's a lot of like explaining what's going on because you're so freaking confused. And so mm -hmm. so so uh, Cooper and Tars are are sort of having this conversation back and forth as the scene is unfolding. Where basically because of what they decided to do, because of the the choice they made in the story, they sort of had to to tell, not show. Like you were seeing something, but they you were telling to. you what was happening. Yeah. Um. And and at, at that point, it's kind of like I don't know. It's kind of like exactly opposite of what the rest of the movie did. The rest of the movie hardcore showed you things, and you were trying to just figure it out. Mm -hmm. Whereas with this, you're looking at one sort of static thing, and they're like downloading information to your mind, and you're like, "How is this possible?" <laughs> And um, uh, Steve and I were literally sitting in the chairs, just going like this because we didn't. Yeah, know yeah, to do. yeah, we were, we were, we were just flailing our arms and shaking our heads and making crazy eyes. Yeah. Um, and so I guess all I'm trying to say there is like, like that throughout the entire rest of the movie, it was the story, right? And and now the the climax, or I don't know if the climax is the right word, but sort of the the, the you know the payoff at the end is so. Um, theoretically dense if i could say it that way mm. uh that it requires a lot of information download and so i think uh actually the storytelling sort of um fades off a little bit at that point now again i know i, I know that's another downer thing it was really a great movie i'm just saying i think i enjoyed like eight tenths of i'm sure i can reduce that to a smaller fraction whatever i'm not a bad guy um I, I enjoyed like eight tenths of the storytelling of the movie. And then the other two tenths, I was kind of like, um, maybe not as, maybe not as yeah. good, not as satisfying as I would like, but in general, I mean, it was fantastic. I mean, the storytelling yeah. was, was honestly fantastic. And so let me say this too. Um, I agree with you. I pretty much fully on that. So from the time that they get sucked into Gargantua and the time where you see him floating in space there, it's sci-fi, hundred percent. Accept it, take it or leave it. Like that's yep. as you as the viewer. That's kind of the make or break apart. But I guess what I'm referring to specifically as the ending is once he's back after the after that portion, he's on the main ship. That's yeah. what I, I like. I'm when I say ending, I'm really talking about what really did it for me. Like my my last point is the ending, and I put it in parentheses. Regardless how you feel about the fifth dimension, after that fact, when it comes back to reality. And then again, step so, back to reality. That, oh, there goes gravity. That's <laughs> <laughs> <it> perfect, right? <laughs> oh, that was good. That was good. <laughs> oh, wasn't, oh, the, 
was it? Uh. Uh, so, um, yeah. So at this point, since it's getting sucked in the black hole too, like decades have gone by. So his daughter, we kind of figured out was probably around 90 years old now, maybe even a decade older than that, mm -hmm. but around that age. And he ends up seeing her one last time before she passes with all her kids and grandkids. Um, and that scene was just so good. I think to finish out the movie, um, a couple different reasons. One, he makes good on his promise that he'd see her again. And that just like was really heavy hitting. Um, yeah. So that was oh, yeah. great. And um, even though they don't, I feel like you could make like a television series out of it, but even though they don't go into detail of how humanity ends up happening, she kind of, uh, Murph and their old age kind of narrates to her father, like telling him to go to brand because she is on this planet now by herself waiting for all of human civilization to go and it kind of shows her there on this planet without her helmet on breathing in the air it looks kind of desert-like in a way or very um very dry area and um it's just a really just a cool ending to cap it all off um anyway yeah i just i really like that ending it's a just a really perfect topper to it all yeah, I, I I do. I agree. I think the ending was fantastic. I think the way that they um, they provided some serious resolution. However, you know, you do, and um, this isn't a bad thing. It's it's a it's good for the story, but it really does make you feel um, for how much you know. I mean, as a dad, of course, um, with a daughter. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you really feel for how much, I mean, imagine, you know, the last time you really see and interact with your daughter, really, you know, she's, uh, what, 11 or 12 years old or maybe no nine. I think she's like nine. Yeah. She's and, like between nine and 11, something like that. Yeah. And then, and then like the next time you see her, you're 40 or whatever, still forties and she's like 90 and, mm. um, yeah, she's like basically the hero of, of civilization. <laughs> um, uh, but it's kind of they get like they get like literally a minute and a half together to talk mm -hmm. and then it's like bye bye um and uh and it's crazy and and when you the 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 actual visuals in this i guess they're at they're at basically this base this star base near saturn i guess is yep. where they're at and um it's it's weird because you see like you see um the dimensional things right like you see like yeah. like it looks weird like everything looks different you see things that are like upside down and it's like yeah humans are now figuring out how to do this 4d 5d mm. thing and um it's it, it's good I, I i guess just to kind of put a button on it here i mean i would say from the storytelling perspective i think the end nailed it again from the science fiction perspective i'm just like something in my something in my brain is just like I don't know. It's weird. It's <laughs> yeah, a little, it's right. a little too out there. Like I've watched, yep. um, I've watched my share of Star Trek, which is as sci-fi as it gets, and I don't ever remember just randomly seeing upside down, like, like yeah. hills, um, in the distance of where the guy is sitting. And so I'm just like, I think it exploded my category for sci-fi, <laughs> even beyond Star Trek. At which point I'm like, okay, I just, I just don't know. So again, I'm sorry to be a, a downer on that point. It's just, it's just, um, and, and maybe that's reality, right? Maybe, maybe that is like, again, if, if, if really, hey, this, yeah. if this super smart dude was an advisor on the film and really thinks that there's some sort of way of thinking and looking at reality that could be like that in the future, then sweet, 
awesome. Um, it's just a little hard for me to wrap my head around. But but overall, fantastic movie, great storytelling. The drama was was incredible. I think I honestly, um, I, I I think I really appreciated the drama and the storytelling, maybe even more than the sci-fi, even though I, I liked the sci-fi. Um, and and I thought again that the cast was great. So fantastic movie. I mean, A plus plus as far as mm. I'm concerned. I might have sounded a little down on it, but that's probably just because I'm a I'm a scientific party pooper. Uh, from a storytelling perspective, which is what this podcast is about, I thought it was great. One thing too, I just want to say one last thing because we kind of overlooked it. Um, because storytelling definitely did take over for the great part of the movie is how amazing the space visuals were in that thing. Like, oh, yeah. Um, just the, yeah. we kind of talked about it. And when they first go to space and they dock on the endurance outside of Earth's atmosphere, um, they spend a good, I want to say close to 10 minutes, at least five minutes, just them docking on it and giving you a perspective of outside. Just the time. Yeah. Really took your time to feel the weight of, wow, like they're alone in space now. Um, so we kind of overlooked that point, but me and the visuals were just, just mind blowing. Yep. Yep. 100%. Anyway, okay. and now and you get to pick the uh, the next movie, my friend. So hopefully uh, you picked something good. I know. For, I... for those of you, uh, um, so if you were if you ever came to one of Steve's and my uh, movie nights, it's uh, more than just the movie because we get giddy over all the burgers and uh, sausages yeah. or uh, whatever other okay. things I serve on the barbecue or on the stovetop, and we get pretty giddy mm -hmm. when it comes to that. Uh, to that time <laughs> i told my wife um you know spare no expense because our movie nights are basically market research so i can <laughs> for our podcast so i can business expense all that junk man uh, yeah it's, it's pretty crazy perfect uh, well stories of the week stories of the week yeah um very good I'll, I'll go first that's fine um okay, so go for it. mine again someone who is a very casual star wars fan um i finally I finally had the time and sat down and watched Kenobi. I think I watched four and a half episodes. I got halfway through the fifth episode all in one night. I crashed that and um, really enjoyed it. Then I finished um, finished it out the following night. And I'm not going into Star Wars lore or anything like that. I am not well versed in that. Just from the service of watching Kenobi, I really like the series. Um, yeah. Really enjoyable. I mean, if I had to put a number to it, maybe like a seven or eight out of ten, I, I really liked it. Wow. Um, maybe not eight, a seven. It was def definitely a seven. It was a good, good series. Again, not, I'm sure there's Star Wars fanboys out there that might be like, oh, no, it's awful. It's a two out of 10. It sucks because of this and this. But just as a yeah. general fan, um, really great action. Um, it was very, um, they took, um, like a really good risk of just kind of, um, venturing out and showing you, um, like an actual adventure. I thought it'd be more localized on Tatooine, um, the whole time, but it, they branched it out. Um, but they also kept it very focused on actual Kenobi and um, the dynamic between him and Anakin. And it was, uh, yeah, it was really good. They showed a lot of Darth Vader. Um, so yeah, just a, a great series. Um, yeah, well, well worthwhile watching. Sweet. Yeah, I'm going to have to do that. I still want to get more caught up on The Mandalorian. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited with what they're doing. Um in over in star trek land over there or star wars land rather over there mm. um it looks you know it looks really good i'm just trying to find the time to to, to stay caught up with it in the midst of everything else going on i uh, know yeah based on the way july is shaping up um that's not going to be easy to do <laughs> so <laughs> yes. july is already looking pretty crazy from my perspective so yeah um Anyway, so my story of the week, uh, simple. I've talked about it before, but uh, just, I'm just really impressed with what the Daily Wire is doing. Um, I think at this point, whether you're conservative or not, it's, it's sort of like, 
um, uh, th- they now sort of demand you pay attention to them. <laughs> uh, they have yeah. reader reader engagement than uh, reader and, and watcher, whatever viewer engagement um, than uh, both the CNN and the New York Times. And when that's the case, you have something. You have something. How many um, subscribers do they have now? You told me the other day. 800 and I think it's 890,000 now. 890,000, which is, you know, Disney Plus and Netflix have 200 million each. Um, so long way away, you know, from, from competing with it. And, and that's ultimately the space they're, they're getting into, right? They're, yeah. they're trying to provide an alternative, you know, for, for honestly, for those services. Um, and um, I, I think uh, to make this sort of relevant to the audience, I mean, the thing that I, appreciate about them is the way that they're expanding. So what they've done is they've introduced what they call Daily Wire Plus, um, which is, it's, it's a couple things. It's a way to sort of put a, a stake in the ground. Um, you know, it's like at the, the Daily Wire is fundamentally a, right, a media, a news media organization. And here you have a news media organization um, um, producing Western films like their latest, you know, Terror on the Prairie. And it's like, okay, that's maybe a bit of a stretch. So we need sort of something to say, okay, this is going beyond um, just a, a news company. This is now a full-fledged, you know, media yeah. sort of powerhouse that's being built here. Um, and so that uh, that piece of it is being established with uh, the Daily Wire Plus. Would, also, that, would the terminology be that they are rebranding? Is that a using that term currently um, or no? The, the, well, the, the platform is being rebranded, yes. They are still the Daily Wire, but, right. but Daily Wire Plus is, is what the platform is Okay, now. gotcha. And it, it also is a way of sort of signifying that the platform itself is new. It's, it's, it's mm. the underlying tech and everything is new. And over the next nine or so months, the plan is to really, really invest a lot into the infrastructure of that to make the platform the best it can be. Um, but even already, there's a, at least a sort of skeleton version difference in the platform versus what it was before gotcha. it went live. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. The other uh, sort of big thing that this signifies is an expansion of content. So they're going even further um, into um, um, media relationships like with Dennis Prager. They already have Prager U videos, mm-hmm. but they're going to be creating some exclusive content through them. Um Probably the biggest announcement was uh, that they have now signed on Jordan Peterson as well, mm-hmm. um, and and they've already even got a couple series out there uh, with him, and they're adding more. It's gonna his whole his whole podcast library and everything is now hosted by them. Um, he's got he's you know that all their all his media assets and everything they now control, and he is also um, going to be creating lots of exclusive content and shows and everything for them. As well. like- I'd like to see it's, what that check was. How much yeah, that right. could be? I Seriously. mean, is it like is it like all or like ninety percent of Jordan Peterson's things? Like, do they pretty much take? Oh yeah, they've got it. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, I, whether they're just licensing it, I mean, I'm, I have right, to right. What those, ter- what those terms are? Yeah, right. of course. Uh, whether it's a license though, or a full ownership, or however it is. Yeah, I don't. I don't. It's I don't a pretty know. penny. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's it's it it's sort of because he's a media powerhouse in himself. And so it's sort of a um interesting nod to how important the Daily Wire is that he would actually sign on with oh, him. Oh yeah. Uh to be honest. And and um especially since he really does not maybe he's kind of shifted some stuff over the time beat, but um he does not label himself as a conservative or yes, yes. anything like that. So it's not like I, he's like, yes. oh, yeah, like, you know, 
let me on. You know, I want to go for the right side. He is mm-hmm. not yep. that at all. I was I was just about to make this point. In fact, I think it's one of the most important sort of shifts that they really made when they did their town hall announcement yesterday or a couple of days ago now. Um, and the the point being, it, it sort of proves the point that that conservatives have been trying to make for a very long time. But it's it's like nobody's listening. Um, c- conservatives are not trying to to like you know, whatever, like you could list off a, a couple different things, right? Like nobody's trying to shove God down your throat. Nobody's trying to say like, you have to have necessarily straight up conservative values or whatever. Um, I would not say that Jordan Peterson is socially conservative. I would say he's probably socially liberal. I mean, to some extent, um, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know exactly, but, um, the, the point is not that it's a platform full of Bible thumbers. Now, I mean, I'm a, you know, I mean, and I'm a Christian and I'm saying this, but it's like, that's not the point. The, the, the point, in fact, is that there is something inhuman about much of what is going on in modern, especially Western, you know, leftist ideology today. It's not necessarily even conservative versus liberal. It is, it is uh, humanity, <laughs> you know, objective moral right versus wrong. And what I love about this platform is that they are, they're not just looking for people who agree. And they even announced it. Like, this is part of the announcement. They're not just looking for people who agree with them on every little jot and tittle. The point is that there is agreement across sort of fundamentally, um, fundamental human rights and ways of thinking about being human versus not. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and, and that's the, that is sort of the battleground on ideas, which they agreed. And so it's really... It's really refreshing. Whereas, and again, I'm, I'm just going to speak kind of freely because this is my podcast and I can do it. Um, the, there is sort of a key distinction when you look at, at, at sort of what we might call leftism as an ideology in, in the United States and certainly in other places as well. But I'm in the United States, so that's where I can speak to this. Um, le- leftism as an ideology in itself is is, cr- is cr- it crumbles under the weight of its own demands. It's it's so inconsistent. It's not backed by logic. And, and you can tell this um, because you can't freely speak. You can't freely, you're, you're constantly in a leftist way of thinking. You're constantly going back to, well, how many points does this person get? Are they black? Are they a woman? Are they gay, trans, lesbian, whatever? Like, like your, your, whatever your idea is, is judged by how many of those points you have as to how right it is. And this plot, the, the other, on the other side of the aisle, you know, all we're trying to say is, no, that's 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 philosophically wrong. Like we actually just look at an idea on its merits and logic and say, yes, is, is this a good idea or a bad idea and why? It has nothing to do with how many culture points you get for, for you know, how woke you are or whatever. And so I just love that the platform is, uh, is trying to um, expand itself in that way and, and create an opportunity for people to see, yeah, this is more than just um, – shoving god down your throat or anything like that it's it's in fact not that at all it's just yeah we want to provide wholesome content that doesn't sort of you know bite you with the woke monster at the at the very end of it um and uh and i think that's great and so they're they're doing entertainment more and more media content they're diving into kids content and just doing a lot of really good stuff so so that's my story of the week that went a lot longer than i planned yeah uh well i'm excited about it this is why we saved story of the week for the last part because Steve and I kind of talked when we first started this podcast. It is Story World, and we talk about stories, and every single one of our podcasts focus on that. But we've kind of noticed that our story time has kind of been our time where we just kind of sit and talk and think through thoughts and just kind of 
give you a little bit more ideas of what we think and how we feel about things. And it's more or less a more general discussion than the initial topic. So skip uh, it if you want to, if you think skip the it if you is want, valuable or if you want, exactly. Whatever. But uh, one yeah. thing I say that because I'm taking us a little bit further down the rabbit hole, just a little bit, or to uh, go down the rabbit hole with you. Um, on the, uh, like with Jordan Peterson coming over to the Daily Wire and with the most recently um, movie that came out, um, what is a woman, which I haven't seen yet. I need to watch that. Um, but I've seen, there's been so, you know, Matt Walsh has so many, uh, videos and points that he's put out there. I feel like I've seen half the movie anyway. Um, I've seen a lot of like YouTubers pretty, pretty like, I wouldn't say like famous, but relatively well-known YouTubers in their like community, um, like review certain, um, clips of it and everything. And I want to say uh, almost like it seems like eight or nine of every 10 that I see are um, on the, I hate to say side, but of, of the reasoner's mind that like, you know, the people that Matt Welsh is interviewing are, you know, just not thinking reasonably and are. It, it, so I, I guess I said to kind of say that there seems to be a really big shift, especially the generation after us millennials. And then like our kids generations, generation alpha, where there seems to be a more like conservative or like a, like reason minded shift in that direction. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what the next like 10, 20, 30 years has for that shift. Cause I think we're going to see that coming. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's exactly right. Um, and it's, it, I mean, it's uh it's kind of we talked about this concept a while ago but you know it's this idea of storytelling is uh truth making um you know at, at a certain point yes everybody's story matters like your story is valuable this is the story world podcast we we believe that but um a, a personal experience just simply cannot it's not in the same category as logic facts and objective data right when something is objective it, it, it it's 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 that way because it originates in the object. It's outside of you. Um, it's not subject driven. It's object driven. And so those two things are not, uh, well, they are mutually exclusive. Um, and your, your personal experience of a situation, if it, if it disagrees with the actual facts and logic of a situation, then it's, it's wrong. And that's kind of how facts and logic work. Um, so it's in that, in that regard, it's very, very important to have, you know, both to, to, to recognize the importance of both and never let them rule one or the other out. Yeah. Like we've talked about before in the podcast and I've kind of said it to varying degrees, either this way exactly, or a little bit different, but essentially you, you make, you make decisions and sound thought and reason based on statistics or logic and what naturally follows. But if you come across someone or a situation where, um, an individual um, is not part of the the good statistics and is on the bad side of those statistics, it doesn't help that you spit out statistics at that person. So like make decisions based on the statistics, but care and love those who are on the bad side of those because obviously those do happen. And so just find that good balance. I think Christians are doing better, but there's a long way to go um, to to honestly just showing the love of Christ, <laughs> you know, like really. 100%. Yeah, no, you're, you're 100% right. 100% right. Um, okay, man. Yeah. This Make them wrap it up. Good yes, podcast. Sir. And I'm uh, excited to see what movie you pick out next for us, Steve. Yeah, man. I'm pumped too. We got a couple really good, exciting episodes coming up too. Um, 
one a little bit more serious topic. I won't announce it. We'll just have to find out. But uh, um, serious topic. And then, um, yeah, a couple other things. But uh, we seem to be not short of any ideas. So uh, we'll have plenty oh. rolling out. Absolutely. 100%. Thanks for being a listener to the podcast. Super uh, thrilled to have you around. And hey, um, tell your friends, right? This is how the podcast will spread. Um, so um, we're excited to have you and see you on the next one. Thanks, everyone. See you.